no, 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 Everybody, Norm over here. This is going to be a great podcast today with Don Peake from The Wrecking Crew, one of the greatest and most recorded guitar players ever. From Let's Get It On to The Jackson 5 Biggest Hits to You've Lost That Love and Feeling and many, many others. Check it out. This guy you really need to know, the great Don Peake. Everybody, it's Norm from the Norm's Rare Guitars Podcast. I want to welcome you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this. And you can see the video delayed one week for free on the All Guitar Network. But I want to tell you, that's some baby making music right there. <laughs> and that is the guy who played that originally with Marvin Gaye. Let's get it on. Those few notes, that starting intro Man, that is one of the most recognizable intros ever, ever, ever in music. And I just want to tell you... it's it's still sexy. Absolutely. (laughs) And I just want to tell you that my buddy Don Peake, he was part of the Wrecking Crew, and he played on so many fantastic tunes, so many of my favorites, so many of your favorites. You may not know... Uh, if you're into music, you probably know who Don Peake is. If you're not, you may not know, but you've heard this guy so many times. Um, Don uh, was with the Wrecking Crew, as I said, which was basically the guys who played behind everybody. Uh, with my buddy Tommy Tedesco, late Tommy Tedesco, Glenn Campbell, uh, Don the, mom, the Randy. Mamas and Papas, Don Randy, Dennis Hal Blaine, Dennis Budimir. Yeah. Bill Pittman, just a who's who. Howard <laughs> Roberts, Barney right. Kessel. Oh my God. Herb Ellis, and we would all be sitting in a row. When we did, you've lost that loving feeling with the Righteous Brothers. There was a row of five of us, all with L five guitars, doing wow. the Phil Spector. There was a way of strumming the Phil Spector, like so. When Bill Medley first came in, the radio disc jockeys thought there was something wrong with the baby, record. Baby, baby. No, because he went, you'll never. Oh, but, yeah. But we all went. No, they thought you were starting in the wrong key. Yeah. Another one of my favorite tunes of all time. Amazing. Yeah. I mean. Amazing. We're not talking about B-sides here. We're talking about A-plus sides. Yeah. So, but uh, let's, you know, just from the beginning, um, your first big gig was with the Everly Brothers, right? Right. Right. I was auditioned, and the Everlys hired me, and we had to learn the songs because they really didn't have any really music. And the records were amazing records that were made in Nashville. Yeah. And, like, like... Like Wake Up Little Susie, Boodle O'Brien and Felice Bryant wrote a lot of the songs. But the thing that was that for me, I had to learn to play two guitar parts at once because when you do... (laughs) 
Never it goes. I had I had to do that. You got to do all the parts at once. Yeah. So I was doing double parts. One day we're in Oklahoma, and it was hot. It was hot, <laughs> hot, hot, hot. And we're on this outdoor stage, and the stage was so hot that we had to kind of rock back on our heels. Wow. And then evening came, and they turned on these gigantic Klieg lights. And every bug in Oklahoma started <laughs> swirling around these lights. Yeah. And it was like, well, I was just kind of watching them. Well, now we start Kathy's Clown. Well, One of my favorites and we go, of all time. And now we're playing, and, and I noticed her, you know. something landed on my guitar. And it was about this long, Potato and it had bug. a stinger coming out of its nose, and it was red. It was, I gotta it, stand tall. And this right. bug starts walking down my guitar neck. <laughs> and I'm here. Towards your fingers. And I'm here. Oh, my God. And it's coming down. When it got to A, wow. I went up here, and yeah. it kept walking, and it walked off the guitar. <laughs> walked off the end of your yeah, guitar? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. What what year would this have been, Don? Sixty-one, sixty-two. Wow, amazing! So many great tunes by the Everly oh. Brothers. Their vocal blend unbelievable, was not to be believed. Then you played with those other brothers that weren't brothers. Who was well, that? I just want to mention before you, that you must have been a young fellow when this. I was twenty-one. Went, you were twenty-one, and I was started. a nerd. I was a guy who had no social skills. I I locked myself in the room and practiced the guitar. Right. I didn't know about. Female people, I didn't know about anything. All I knew about was Just I could play. I think you found out real quick if you were playing uh, well, with the Everly there Brothers. there was a lady in London who was one of the stage people at, at the London Palladium. Mm -hmm. And she came up to me and said, well, she said, why don't you come knock me up after the show? <laughs> and I went, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I could go either out. way. No, it, yeah. it meant knock on the door. Oh, yeah. Oh, but so I want to tell this you. This is not a dirty show. But my story about the, the Cockney couple Except that I sometimes. met. Because my mother was born in England, in Sunderland, oh, okay. way up in the north. I have family up there. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Are they Geordies? Oh, they are Geordies. Why am I? And they speak with that t that accent. They do. Well, my mom went went off to Canada. Right. And so by the time I met my mom, you know, in 1940, <laughs> she really didn't have the accent anymore. Yeah. And I was so excited to be with the Everleys. And they took us to London. They put us in the Strand Palace. And I, I walked down the steps into Traf Trafalgar Square. Yeah. I was so excited to hear an English person. And a in, pip and all that. Indeed. Oh, boy, matey. And in the gutter yeah. was a Cockney couple, nose to nose, toe to toe, and they were arguing. And what I heard was, fuck off, fuck <laughs> off, fuck <laughs> off, fuck off. And that was fuck my off, first introduction mate. to the English really? <laughs> language. Oh, my God. Well, I'm very proud of, of our... Uh, of the heritage. Of uh, the heritage, yeah. <laughs> such an introduction to English right. society. So now we're playing with the Everleys, <laughs> and it's now 1963. And the Beatles are coming to watch us, and we're, and we're we're having such a good time, and we're in a big auditorium, a lot of people, and we're in the middle of a song, and Don Everly turns to Phil, and says, "I can't do this," and takes off his guitar and walks off the stage. Wow! So it became the Everly brother, and we were like aghast. What I mean, what did we do? And so we took a quick break, and Phil Everly said to Joey Page, "Joey, can you sing?" And Joey said, "Sure." Wow. And Phil said, "Will you sing the melody? Because I don't know the melodies." <laughs> Isn't really? that amazing? He he just knew the harmonies. Wow! And what what happened? What was the upshot of that? The upshot was that Donald went home. Really? We, we finished. We did two more weeks. We came back to Los Angeles. Wow! And I joined Ray Charles. What? 
Oh, my God. Another great uh, story, Jeez, of course. what was that know. like? Now, that was interesting. I'd been a, going to college. I was playing with a big band, so yeah. I knew how to play, how to read charts, and how, excuse me, how to read charts and how to play with a big band. Yeah. And I got this call at Gold Star, Arthur Wright, big, tall, good friend of mine, black gentleman. And he says, Don, take this call. And I said, who is it? And he said, it's Joe Adams, Ray Charles looking for a guitar player. Wow. And I said, I'm white. Arthur Wright said, take the, the call, call, Don. Yeah. <laughs> so I picked the phone, pay phones. I know you guys have never heard of yeah. the pay phones. And I said, hello, this is Don Peake. And the voice said, this is Joe Adams. Ray Charles is looking for a guitarist. He said, we've been through 35 guitar players. We can't find someone who can read music, play the blues, play jazz, and knows the old songs because we've lost some of the music. Wow. And I said, well, I know all those things. He said, I said, but I'm white. He said, can you play? Yeah. I said, yes. He said, get down here. So I went down. I drove down Washington Boulevard and we're just west of West, east of Western. It's a big round building. Mm -hmm. RPM International. And I went around to the back. I remember back. that label. I think B.B. Yeah. King was on that yes, label correct. at the time, too. And I go around to the back, and there's a big double door. And I push the door buzzer. It opens, and there's a stairway. Mm -hmm. So I've got my L5 guitar, my amplifier, and my, and my jazz guitar. And I go up the stairs, and at the top are these double doors with push bars. And I took my right foot, and I went, bang! And I kicked the door, and it flies open. And sitting there in their chairs... Five saxophones, four trombones, four trumpets, bass, drums, and a piano. When Ray's not there yet, yeah. And the Raylettes are standing there, and I and obviously the empty chair was a guitar you. seat. Yeah. So oh, I yeah. went and I sat down, and opened up the book, and the bass player Edgar Willis. He said number one oh one. So I open up, and it's it's a it's a jazz four four fast count bassy blues. Right. And it was like it was like an F. And it goes, and the drummer goes, one, two, one, two, three. Pretty cool. Wow. And so they said, You got the gig. But no, Ray yeah. came out. And Ray says, Do you know the old songs? I said, Sure. He said, well, Let's do Hallelujah, Lover So. Which wow. is, you know, it's his. So it's a. Yeah. Let me tell you about yeah, the yes. I know. Yeah. yeah. And so I played it, and then. Then we played another tune, and then Ray starts What I Say. <laughs> and, and I just waited. And he did the, you know. And I just was sitting there, and it was a little faster. Yeah. And then it got to the A, and it went back to E. And then he started, and I started doing this. And Ray starts laughing. Really? Because none, none of the other guitar players, they all just were doing Oh, really? But when I started playing his So that part, was you? Oh yeah. My God. And he was like, hire yeah. this kid. <laughs> so Joe <laughs> Adams comes over. He says, well, Mr. Charles wants to hire you. And I said, well, how much does it pay? And Joe Adams said, it pays $200 a week. 
And I said, well, Mr. Adams, I said, I just got off with the Everly Brothers, and they pay $225 a week. And Joe Adams said, well, I'll have to talk to Mr. Charles. So I'm walking down the stairs carrying my stuff, and I'm thinking, what did I just do? Did I just turn down <laughs> Ray Charles? <laughs> and I, by the time the I man. got to my house, my mother was saying, no, don't worry, they called you, you're on. Oh, man. But, Very cool. So, so did, he, did he match the Everly? Oh, or yeah. Did he yeah, them? he gave me an, a separate envelope with $25. Oh, man. Nice. That's amazing. Was yeah. he an okay guy to work with? He was. Well, please understand, in those days, I was 24, Ray was 34. Yeah. Now, Ray was on a, on a heroin habit. Yeah. But he was Pretty big very, one, right? yeah. very appreciative of good playing. Yeah. And if you could play, and you could play slow and in time, and he failing. loved you. Yeah, You yeah, know, yeah. Like, like Drown in My Own Tears, which was, Oh, you know, God, yeah. So if you could play wow. at those tempi and not speed up, you know, he loved that. Yeah. The drummer, Wilbert Hogan, was up. a very serious jazz drummer. He played with Sonny Stitt. Well, it was a hell of a band, wasn't oh, it? The whole yeah, these thing. guys were from Count yeah. Basie's was, uh, band. Was Bobby Forte yeah. playing with him? Do you, do you know Bobby? No. Because he was a sax player. And oh. he, was running, he played with Little Richard and Ray Charles. Well, and he was one of the first guys I met when I came out. The, he probably played with Ray Lee. later. Yeah. But I remember there was one night the promoter came up to Hogan the drummer, and said, listen, we got a comedian tonight, and we want you to come out and play some pratfalls, but out bomb. Yeah. <laughs> and Hogan walked right up to him, and he stuck his nose in his, and he said, I don't play no circus drums. <laughs> <laughs> and the promoter was like, Amazing. ooh, it disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. That was the end of that idea. Yeah. <laughs> play circus drums. So, yeah. um, wow. And then uh, Ike and Tina Turner. Well, that was Phil Spector, yeah. River Deep Mountain High. And it wow. was, you know, uh, it was in B flat. It was a. Uh... Yep. Yeah. My God. And again, the wow. strum. She sings, When I was a little. And that was the thing we did. You know, that was that thing, that wall uh -huh. of sound. So, That's as, one you, of my as favorite you said things. before, these are not just A-sides. These are some of the most legendary. I mean, this is like listening to a soundtrack of, uh, you know, all your life listening lives, to music. Yeah. Um, what was the other thing you said? What, what were Sonny and Cher called when you first? Caesar and Cleo. Caesar and Cleo. And they did. Sonny came in and they did this. Uh... <laughs> And, and it was baby don't go and, yeah and then I did this like a mandolin yeah yeah, yeah. tremolando and uh, the next week they were tremolando yeah well that's man you that's are a musician <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no musician. you know we can tell I'm really old is because this is called a plectrum plectrum uh, yeah 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 <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. So that was amazing. So then they changed to this, Sonny and Cher. Yeah, you were saying, oh, was it Ahmed Erdogan? Yeah, Ahmed Erdogan hired them at ATCO. So oh. now we had the... Wow. I got you, babe. Yeah. Yeah. But then Barney Kessel... Now, you, you know this because you're a player and you're, you both are so musical. Jazz guys like chord changes. 
Yeah. They want to play the, the blues. They want to play, you know, Charlie Parker. He started like, like an F. Charlie would go. In, instead of yeah. just, you know. Yeah. So now we're doing the beat goes on. Right. And, and we're. Oh, I'm sorry. And it's going on hour number two. Because Sonny liked to rehearse a long time. Right. And we're still doing that F chord. <laughs> and Barney Kessel yells, oh, Sonny. And Sonny pushes the button in the booth. He says, yes, Barney. And Barney says, if a doctor told me I only had two weeks to live, I'd rather spend them with you because each moment is like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Sonny says, gee, thanks, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And, and tell me, because, uh, you know, I mean, there's rumors that Ray w could be difficult. And well, then you worked with let Phil me, Spector, let me, another well, guy who could be right. difficult. Well, let me answer one at a time. Rachel, are we running out of film yet, or are we okay? No, we're okay. good. So, we're good. Just so keep talking. <laughs> when, when Ray Charles was young, and we were playing, and the guys in the band were from Count Basie's band and from Duke Ellington's orchestra, Juan Tiesel playing trombone, who wrote Perdido, so, Philip Gilbo, the jazz trumpet player from Basie's the band. From we Stone. were, oh, oh my, my God. God. And I'm sitting up in front with Ray, and all these guys are behind me going, ba 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 da And it's like, oh, my, I was in heaven. Yeah, I bet. And Ray was happy. Yeah. Now, later on, Joe Adams was trying to save money, and he would hire these younger and less experienced players. Right. They were still paying $200 a week. Quincy and, Jones and the like. Yeah, Q. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so the playing was getting a little shaky, and <laughs> Ray was not happy. Not, yeah. And that's when it became, you know, Ray became difficult. Right. Now, Phil Spector... When I knew him, I was 19 years old. He was 21. Wow. And we were like, we were in heaven. Yeah. The Righteous Brothers and Ike and Tina and those records. Crystals, Ronettes. Crystals, Ronettes. Yeah. All that stuff. Oh, my God. You know, so much fun. He's a rebel. He's what a, a rebel. tune, you know. So. And then later on, you know, I went off to score. Did you know I, I did the music for Knight Rider? I know. I, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I looked at your the bio, Hasselhoff. and I do yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was hired hey. after the first twelve, and I did. Did you get to drive it? Uh, I did. I yeah. drove Kit. Really? Well, you were you Fantastic. were a race car driver. Right? I was a champion race car driver. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was. That's why. I was so they trusted interested. me. Wow. <laughs> but cool. I, I'll tell you, those cars were primitive. The, the inside dashboard was not what you saw on the screen. Yeah. You know that was done in the that studio. That was done in the studio. Yeah, now right, the so, kids. I was. So just was it in, like a stunt car? Yeah. Yeah. But when I was in Atlanta just like last month, all these there was a fourteen. Absolute perfect replicas of Kit. Wow. With the dashboards and the things With talking the beep, beep, and everything. Beep, beep. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, Amazing. you know, we were just talking about studio guys. And the thing about the Wrecking Crew, which was, um, you know, recording is a whole different mindset oh than playing live. And, you know, a lot of times when you have a big orchestra, you walk in, there's 25 people in there. They can't afford to have people who can't read, right. who can't yeah. get a sound, who can't do certain things because time is money. And, you know, how many sessions would you do a day? Three. Wow. Yeah. 10 a.m. to 1, lunch break. Two to, Two to five, five, and then six to maybe wow. midnight sometimes. Oh my God. Well, these guys were like the insurance players. If you knew that you had, you wanted to go in there, you wanted to get it right, you didn't want to hire the amateurs to come in. And, and yeah, there were right. a lot of guys who were really great players mm -hmm. who um, couldn't 
record like this. I mean, you yeah. go you get Hal Blaine, the drummer, who was uh, amazing. Always he perfect. always played the right really? thing. And yeah. you're playing stuff from Nancy Sinatra to the Crystals to, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, everything. The Beach Boys, right? The Beach Boys, Jan and Dean. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mamas and Papas, where this guitar came from. Really? Well, oh, that I, was John Phillips' guitar, yeah, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Sorry. Well, I want to just tell you guys, hang on, because we're going to take a little break, and we're going to be right back with the great Don Peak and my buddy Nick Dias. Thank you. All right, everybody. So we're back, and we're talking to the great Don Peak. What key? What key? <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's Whichever one you wonder, like. right? That's, <laughs> that's, that, what, that's right. You remember that record? Fingertips. Absolutely. Yeah. You can hear one of the band guys, band members, you know, they took, there was like a little pause. They took a break. Reaction, That's right. And guys started going, what, what key? key? What key? That's so right. you'll hear that in fingertips. Yep. Yeah. Yep. One of the little trivia things yes, that I. Yeah. But that's amazing aware. that you know that. That's Absolutely. wild. Absolutely. No, no, no. You're speaking my language, your uh, brother. So, uh, you know, I love. But we're going back to the mamas and papas. So, um, John Phillips gave you this guitar. Well, he didn't give it to me. <laughs> he, it was a 12 string, and he sold it. To Paul Herman, the luthier. I know Paul. And Paul Herman cut off the top. Right. And, and you can see the extra holes where the 12 strings were. And the neck, you know, the head used to be this much bigger. Yep. Wow. And uh, sometimes it, you got to cut the head off just to get it in the case, right? Yes, yes, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. So you could get a bigger case. <laughs> uh, why that's, why that's do something that simple? <laughs> yeah. So uh, Paul Herman called me and he said, Look, I've got this guitar. Now, I was always looking for a guitar. I wasn't happy. The one that I played, Let's Get It On, which is now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, in the Motown section, right above Rick James's bass, wow. says this guitar played by Don Peake on Let's Get It On. But it's a, it's a crown. It's a copy of a Barney Kessel Gibson. Really? Yeah, but the neck was really skinny, and I yeah. didn't like it. Huh. So Paul Hermit said, try this. And I just went, oh, this is butter. That is a fabulous you know? neck. I, I and so he painted it black. It had a tailpiece, but I, I changed to this because I felt it was better for the tension. Yeah. And it plays beautifully. Thank I've you. Got to say, so God. now Motown is calling me on stuff. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No. And they call me in, and, and it's little Michael Jackson. Diana Ross brings him in. He's got a big afro. And Freddie Perrin's passing out the music. And my and Wilton Felder's playing bass. And Gene, Not a bad bass player. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> now, Wilton Felder's so interesting because he was a beautiful sax player. And he really? played with the Crusaders. Yeah. Really? And I once said to him, I said, Wilton, I said, man, I said, why don't you play sax for Motown? He said, no, man, I saved that for the Crusaders. Really? I thought, wow. I, you know what? I always thought I was two separate people. I thought they're probably related. It's the same, same guy. guy. Oh, my God. That's amazing. But he was, and he was a, he was a Jehovah's Witness. So we always came in a suit and a tie. So was Michael, by the way. I mean, this is just something crazy. When I lived, I lived in Woodland Hills. And there was a Jehovah's Witness uh, place, yeah. you know, maybe a few blocks down. I think it's called a church. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and anyhow, uh, Jehovah's my Witness wife protection. is there. <laughs> yeah. And my son and Michael Jackson comes to our door with the watchtower, which oh. was like their little magazine that they yeah. wanted a dime yeah. for. And my wife looks at him and goes, my God, Michael Jackson. He goes, my name is Joe. Oh. You know, and, he, and she tried to give him a dollar. It was a dime. He said, no, 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 just a dime. Wow. And uh, and it was like the talk of the neighborhood. And everybody knew because he went to all the houses in the neighborhood himself. We would see his family there. Sure. And uh, I knew Jermaine, and Jermaine sure. was a friend of mine. And um, 
So, but it was just a, a mind blow to see these guys a couple blocks down from yeah. your house coming to your door trying to sell a 10 yeah. cent watchtower. That's it. Thing, wow. you know, so. Well, there's a famous story about a gentleman who's alone in his house and he hears, he goes to the front door and it's a young man wearing a white shirt, a black tie, holding a Bible. Mm-hmm. And the young man says, good afternoon. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. May I come in? The man says, of course, please come in. And they go in and they sit down in the living room. And the gentleman says to the young man, what would you like to talk about? And the young man says, beats the hell out of me. I never got this far before. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever let me in. Wow. Wow. There you go. <laughs> but you played on all those early Jackson yes, 5 teams. Absolutely. But I want to point out that some of it was improvised and some of it was written. Right. Um, the, the, I want you back. The music was passed out. Wilton was down in, in the bass. I was an octave above Wilton. Right. Called Divisi. Uh, Louis Shelton had an octave, A flat. David T. Walker waited, and he was going to improvise. So what happened was, I start out. There's a piano glist, and then I, and then Wilt, and then Louis Shelton. In the meantime, I'm. And then David T goes and does that wonderful thing that he always does. You know, it's just wow. magic. And Wilton's underneath you. Right, he's playing the. Well, we were in unison, so, yeah. and we were so tight that you really can't tell. There's there, there's two of us if you're listening to the record. You can, yeah, you can hear it. I've, yeah. I've got. I've listened to it so so closely so yeah. often. Yeah. Yeah, and then we did ABC, and wow. we did Dancing Machine, and all those records, and we were the same team. And we made all those hits in a row. Did you know that you were making history when you when you were making that? Did it sound that fabulous? Yeah. And the same with Loving Feeling. Yeah. The day that we recorded Loving Feeling, I knew it. I knew that it was, was a, a hit monster. Yeah. Just did. And by the way, speaking of B sides, because you were talking about B sides mm-hmm. earlier, Phil Spector was very smart. He never released a song on the back of the record. He'd do an instrumental. Ah. So that the DJs had to play the A side. <laughs> Couldn't get mixed up that That's way. That's right. That's really smart. Yeah. So when you were making these records, I know you were saying you were in, you were in the pit with Barney Kessel and Howard Roberts. Yes. And there were there were all you luminaries in one room. And, uh-huh. Wow. Always at the same how, how time, did that work? the same room. Well, interesting. Gold Star. If you look at the old film, you can see film of the Sunny and Cher session. There are these great big Bakelite knobs, like five of them. Right. Because Gold Star Studios, there were knobs on the console. Wow. There were no faders. There were no sliders. <laughs> wow. And, and there weren't enough channels. So they would pair us up. They would put me and Barney Kessel, two microphones, into the same channel. Wow. And we would blend with each other. Yeah. And, and we would just... So you and, just had to learn how to, how to work with... Yeah. The yeah. old, the other legendary musician next to you, whatever. Yeah. Uh, wow. Back in those days, too, That's they amazing. didn't have as many tracks as they have, so they no. had to have people come in and work out the parts and play them live. I mean, you know, there was no looping where you get one chorus right and yeah. you were done. No, no, no. You had no, to play no. the whole tune. Uh, You've Lost That Loving Feeling was recorded on, I think, three or four tracks. Wow. And wow. and so, once, when they, so they were mixing while we were playing. Wow. That's amazing. So you just got to... I mean, I guess that's you have to get you, it right. Where you get the work, you got, yeah. you got to now, get it right. Now, this is an interesting thing because you were talking about it. Studio musicians 
are kind of like the Navy SEALs. You have to, when that red light comes on, you're under fire. Yeah. You know, you are, you're in the trenches together. Mm. And you depend on each other. And that's why we became so tight with each other because we knew we could count on each other. All right, yeah. here's, here's another one. So you were with Phil Spector. How about Phil Spector and John Lennon? I was there uh, because I had met John Lennon in, in London in, in the 60s, now 1974. Because he was a huge Everly's fan. Yes, he? and Sorry he was. To interrupt. Yeah. Yes, and stop that. <laughs> <laughs> and so John... You Brits are so rude. Uh, <laughs> so now we're at the studio and Phil calls me and it's 1974 and it's the, the rock and roll album and John Lennon walks in and I'm sitting there and Phil said, Don, get your precision bass. And so I got the P bass and John Lennon walked right up and he looked at me and said, hey. And I said, hey. Because we, we recognized remember each me? other. Remember me? Yeah, remember <laughs> me, you know. So um, it was mm. a very small world. Wow. Small community. Yeah. Amazing. And was uh, were you involved? I mean, I know you played with, you know, Smokey must have been involved in a lot of those sessions because he wrote a lot of those yeah, things. Yeah. Temptation Supreme. Yes. All that kind of stuff. And James know. Carmichael was the arranger on those. James uh, Carmichael was such a gentleman. Always wore a suit. Oh, yeah. we'll go, let's go back to Wilton Felder for a minute. Wawa Watson. Everybody thought that Wawa did the part on Let's Get It On because he toured with Marvin. And he plays a Wawa. Because it was a Wawa. Yeah. But it was me. <laughs> And yeah. then Wawa did it on the road. Wow. But Wawa was was a really irascible character. Yeah. And Wilton would come in in his suit with his bass, and Wawa would be down on the floor adjusting his echoplex. <laughs> and he would look up and he'd see Wilton. He'd go, hey, preacher. <laughs> and Wilton would ignore him. Yeah. And he would say, I'm talking to you, preacher. And Wilton would go sit down and get his music and ignore Wawa completely. Yeah. But that was something Ama we did. We did it every day. Amazing. And how about James Jamerson? James Jamerson was a tragedy. Yes. James Jamerson was Motown, Detroit. Greatest James, so built, so brilliant. Bass player. I loved his bass player. So brilliant. Yeah. Stevie Wonder would have to go out and find him. He'd be drunk out some bar somewhere, and they'd go get Jamerson, and they'd bring him back to the studio. This one session, a famous song, James was so drunk he couldn't sit up or stand up. I heard he did it He on laid on the floor on his back and played the part. Wow. Now, I only met him once in Los Angeles. They brought yeah. him out here, and he has cleaned up pretty much, but he was weak. You know, he was ill. And I met him that one time, and, and that was it. You know, I'll tell you uh, one story um, that I remember with Jamerson. There was a club out here called the Country Club. Not the Canyon Club, but the Country Club in Reseda. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I saw all kinds of people there, James Brown, mm -hmm. everybody, you know, Albert King, you know. And it was Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Oh, and oh. Um, so they ended up, uh, Junior Walker finished a tune and he said, uh, and to the audience, he said, ladies and gentlemen, the great bass player from Motown, James Jamerson. And Jamerson walked out and he was holding like a plate of ribs. And he just walked out to the mic and he just looked at the audience, and the audience gave him a standing ovation. I'm sure. And Jamerson just stood there. Oh, dear. And then he went again, ladies and gentlemen, oh, once no. again for the great oh. bass player from Motown, James Jamerson. Oh. Everybody went nuts again. And then he just stayed there and didn't say anything holding these ribs, and eventually oh. somebody had to kind somebody of walk him backstage. Oh, it was really tragic. tragic. You know, so. 
But uh, that's just something I remember, and I was such a big fan of Anderson. And um, I have so many friends of mine who really consider him like the greatest R&B bass player. And I was told, too, that they would do a lot of the tracks, sometimes with another bass player. And once they got the vocals and a lot of the stuff on, they would bring Jamerson in to kind of sweeten the track at the end because he just knew what to play to make it so interesting. I was made to love her, you know, Stevie Wonder, Up the Ladder to the Roof by the Supremes, uh, Bernadette by the Four yeah, Tops, I mean, oh. all that kind of stuff. What great stuff. And the bass was so intricate and so uh, important in the uh, overall tune, yes, the scheme was, of things. Yeah, it was with like tune. another voice. Yeah. Right. And I know that when they had Motown 25, Jamerson, they didn't invite, which was really a terrible thing. I mean, yeah, they, but, you know, he was so unpredictable. They I didn't know, it, they didn't what, know. The, which one was going to show up. Yeah. yeah um, talking of voices, I... I I didn't know this until uh, just recently, but an artist so dear to my heart, Barry White and the Love oh, Unlimited right. Orchestra, who talk about I ba- can't do it, I can't get music. that low. You can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm at Gold Star, yeah, and playing on a session in Studio A, mm-hmm. and Barry White is walking down the hall, and I came out for a break, and he said, "Hey, come down to Studio B for a minute," and I started playing with him. And I played on every one of those original records. Oh, me, Ray Parker Jr., and Wawa Watson. Really? The three of us. And we would sit there and ecstasy when you're next to me and all those songs. We oh. were, that was us. Yeah. Strumming and playing. Can't and get enough of your love. Yeah, oh, all those records. I'm on every one of yeah. them. And the thing that was amazing was Barry was a really nice guy. And he was a, you know, he started getting big checks. Yeah. You know, he started getting paid. Yeah, he was making big records. He was stunned how much money he was making. I I think he spent a lot of it on dinner. (laughs) Yes, he did. But we were all in a row. We were sitting there with our music stands, and Barry would come in with a big roll of $100 bills, and he'd walk along our music stands and throw hundreds on our music (laughs) stands. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. You guys are doing a great job. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, no, he'd say, boys, I'm in a hurry tonight. (laughs) (laughs) We'd say, okay, man, let's go. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. I love all those records yeah. so much. And I mean, the groove again, on those it's... records was amazing. And before you brought up my buddy Ray Parker Jr., yeah. and Ray is a, a good friend of mine. And Ray, uh, you know, is known primarily, he was a Motown guitarist, played on yes. a million things, uh. but he was known mostly for Ghostbusters. And you co produced I did. Ghostbusters. It, was, it happened because Ray had written the song, but he didn't know how to put a song in a movie. And by that time, I was already scoring films. Yeah. So I knew how to do that, and I came in the studio and I showed him how to how to adjust the song and how to make it fit the film. And then he was sitting in the booth, and we were listening. And Ray looked at me and he said, "Bustin' makes me feel good." And I said, "Get out there right on. now!" And he said, "What?" <laughs> I said, "Get out there and sing that." And he did, and it's part of the record. And that's part of the hook. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so that's a whole different technique: scoring or adapting songs to fit. Movie to time scores, it to right? film, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, and I studied. How did you learn that? I studied with Dr. Albert Harris, and I studied with Paul Glass, and I I, I studied with a lot of amazing composers. Wow! And uh, I learned how to conduct, and I learned how to orchestrate. When I got the Night Rider show, I was writing twenty minutes of music a week. Wow! With this huge music paper, and and you had to do the math. You know, when the when the scene changed, you had to change the music, and you have to get the atmosphere like yeah. you did in The Hills Have Eyes. Yes, right? oh, you Which you is, know about yeah, The Hills yeah, Have Eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. movie was so ugly, uh, yeah. that I couldn't do it. When they they brought it to me on film on thirty five millimeter, 
And <laughs> I could only do it in the daytime. At nighttime, I turned it off. I, I could not watch you. it. It's still creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was studying at that time with Paul Glass, and he was studying with Krzysztof Penderecki in Poland, in communist Poland, who started the 12-tone and the quarter tones where the violins get in between the notes and go, so, that so stuff, sca- yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to write out for the musicians a special instruction sheet to show them how to play these special things. Wow. That's how far back this was. And Wes Craven came in, I remember. And this was in the days when you couldn't do a demo. You know, the, you had, they had to trust you. Yeah. They got to the stage and you started conducting the orchestra and then they heard the score. The, wow. Well, now Wes Craven comes out and he says, what's that noise? I said, that's your music. <laughs> <laughs> because really? it was so atonal. It was so yeah. strident. You know, that they were like, oh, my God. But then it but worked it out. it worked, per- worked perfectly yeah. with the uh, visuals. Made me frightened. Oh, yeah. me too. Still does. Yeah. I still can't watch it. So here's, here's <laughs> another one. Now, his discography of the things he played on is so deep and so much. And we can't even begin to get to all of this stuff. But another one who was my favorite, who was a white guy who was very soulful back in the day, was Bobby Darren. Oh, I loved Bobby Darren. The sweetest wow. man Bobby Darren called me. I was a session guy. I was like a gunslinger. Yeah. You know, I mean, we showed up. We didn't know what they were going to give us. They'd put music out, count it off, and we'd, we'd play it. Well, it was Wayne Newton's session, and Bobby Darren was the producer. Yeah. So now we're playing, and I'm strumming, and, you know, and it was a, it was a medium tempo. It, was, it, it, was, it had some work to it. You were yeah. working. And I noticed somebody was standing next to me, and I looked over, and it was Bobby Darren. And we finished the song, and he said, Don, he said, I want you to play on all my sessions from now on. I want you to be my number one guitar guy. And I said, oh, I would love it. So now we started playing. We were playing at at the Coconut Grove, which was in the Ambassador Hotel. I'm on stage with Bobby Darren with my L5 guitar, and we're doing Mac the Knife. And I'm having the best time and just chunking away. I loved Mac the Knife. And now Darren says to me, listen, we're going on the road. We want you to come. And I said, look, you know, I said, I'm done with the road. I, I played with Ray Charles on the road. I played with the Everleys. I want to stay in L.A. I want to be an arranger. And Bobby Darren said, can you arrange? And I said, well, I studied. I, I'm studying with Dr. Harris. And he said, well. Thank you very much, by the way. Yes. Yeah. That's my last name, too. I'm oh. Sorry. Oh, there you go. So now I walk out of the studio. A week later, the phone rings. And a man says, this is Charles Koppelman. Koppelman and Ruben are producing Bobby Darren, and Mr. Darren wants you to arrange his next record. Wow. So they're saying, okay, Peak, you think you can arrange? Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> Put up or shut up. Yeah. So I go to the office, and here the guys are in the suits, and the loudspeakers are up on the wall. I'd never seen that before. These wow. guys were New York dudes. They were doing the Love and Spoonful. They were awesome guys. Hip. Yeah. Yeah. So now they play me this incredible song, Tim Harden. If I were a carpenter. And I listen to this, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I've got my yellow sheet of paper, and I'm writing down. And they say, we want violins. We want strings. I say, okay, I write on strings. I didn't tell them I'd never written for strings before. Now I go back to my house, and I'm looking through the book, and I start writing. And I remember that Don Everly did a thing where, where he would do a chord, but he would just do the, he would do. And no third, no third. No third, so it was yeah. And I thought, this would be perfect for Carpenter. 
So I wrote the, the violins out in open fifths. Wow. And we went to the session, Hal Blaine playing timbales, playing drums, Bob West on bass, and the string quartet, Sid Sharp is the concertmaster, and now it's time to start. And I'm going, oh my God, I wonder what this is going to sound like. <laughs> so I start backing up toward the door. I went, <laughs> Just one, <laughs> two, and I got to the door and they started. And it was good. Yeah. And I came you back, came in, the back in the room. I came back in the room. <laughs> and that was hiding out just in case, right? Yeah. And Bobby Darren said, you know, Don, I want you to play rhythm on this. So I hadn't planned to do it, but I ended up you know, and, you know that uh -huh. kind of was kind of a folky yeah. kind of yeah, yeah. And here's another one. Now this is another you know, we're just going from one side of the spectrum to the next. On Monument Records, back in the day, Monument. Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison. It takes wow. all kinds of people. Wow. I was such a fan of Roy Orbison. I, I so mean, was to everybody. me, yeah. he was yeah. like a, a god. And I get this call, can you do this arrangement for Roy Orbison? Of course, I said, can I? Would I? You know, <laughs> I, of course I will. Yeah. And it's a big orchestra, and the song is called It Takes All Kinds of People. And I had three French horns, Big string section. I remember Artie Butler came back from Canada after he was conducting for, for um, who was he with? Uh, Neil Sedaka. Wow. And I said to Artie, man, you were with the, the Philharmonic in, in Canada. What was it like? And he said, Don, it was a sea of toupees. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, so anyway, so I've got this big orchestra, and it's in the key of C, and Roy Orbison at the end, it, you know, it was... It was, it was, um, take, takes all kinds of people. Da, 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 da. And then Roy goes, he goes, da, and sings a high C. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh. yeah. yeah. He did a tune. Amazing. Uh, it was the follow-up to Only the Lonely. Uh -huh. It was Blue Angel. And mm -hmm. that vocal on that was just, to me, that was my favorite. Yeah, Only the Lonely. But only the Lonely was another was one. one of but kind, here's really another lonely. one talking about singing high. Um, this lady's daughter. Minnie Ripperton. That's who I was going to say, Maya Rudolph. Uh. Um, who, her uncle um, was, I grew up in Miami Beach, and the Rudolph family was very well-known family in Miami, hmm. and that was uh, Maya's dad, or wow. I don't remember how it was. It was Dick huh? Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah. And Dick anyhow, Rudolph, yeah. and uh, so, but Minnie Ripperton, man, I mean, what vocals? I had the, the privilege of arranging her last album. Wow. And she was dying of cancer, and we knew it. And I remember she liked my hat. I had a hat like this. And I gave it to her, and she would wear it at the session. Oh. And Dick Rudolph was crying in the booth. I mean, we were... Wow. It yeah. was just... God bless. You know, this was, you know, God bless. Uh, nowadays, medicine has come so far. Yep. And I always wonder, you know, what would have happened all those years ago if we had been able to save her. Yeah. You know? Wow. And the movie The Meeting, right? That was when Martin Luther King... Oh, you, yeah. I scored that. Yeah. Malcolm yeah. X. Martin. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I did some old... What a catalog. So I did my homework. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, you're scaring me, man, really. Yeah. Boy. 
Ah, amazing. Um, so just what would be in a, a, so many things to pick from, what would be a career highlight? I know that's a difficult question. Is, I'm sorry. It is. <laughs> it is when you're on stage with the Everly Brothers, and especially when you're young and they're big time hitting and, it. And it's and it's. I'm gonna put the vibrato on. I don't know if it'll go on here. Will it? I don't, uh, know if I don't think that one has vibrato. So oh, okay. So so it won't go on. But, but you, you have got, to just imagine the vibe. You know when when you're playing. Um, I'm trying to think what. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. And amazing. I, maybe you can answer this for me. Um, the Everly's had a very big hit with that, but so did Jerry Butler and Betty yes. Everett. Yes, true. And true, true. That was another tune that I loved. And both had giant hits with that too. Yeah. 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 And they now, both harmonized great. So now, 2004, I get a call. Can you come back to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? We're honoring the Everly Brothers. So I hadn't seen Donald in 30 years. And Albert had been playing with him. Yeah. And Waddy had been playing with him, but not me. In fact, Albert and Waddy and I are talking about doing a, a three-man. That'd be fantastic. You'd be up on stage and just talk about the yeah. Everly's, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so now we're, we're in Nashville. Oh, excuse me, Cleveland. We're in Cleveland, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing with Albert Lee, and the elevator door opens, and here comes Don Everly. And Albert goes over and hugs him, and Donald looks at me like he should know me. And I had a little baseball cap on, and I said... I'm Don Peake. And he said, Don Peake, you were a good guitar player. I said, I still am. I'm playing for you tonight. <laughs> How surprising. That's amazing. Surprise. But something simple like this. To go to, from F to C with the E in the bass yeah. to D minor. Now this is the magic. Yeah. Beautiful. And then, so so that was an A flat chord, you know, with it's an A flat minor, yeah, with the C in the bass. Wow. So so this so two 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 two. That's that's the beauty. It sounds like a string arrangement. Yes, You're exactly. Just doing it on the guitar. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Amazing. But whenever you you know play something, you know, obviously the most obvious thing is playing the root on the bass. But yes. when you Go to something else. Yeah, it changes like that, everything. The whole feel of it. That's whole gospel music. I mean, yes, the keyboard. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the left hand on the keyboard. Yeah. You know, and the bass. Not well, the same with Brother the, Ray. Brother yeah. Ray taking it to church. Yeah, you've got, um, you've got Georgia. So now, Ray goes. You know, and then it goes. So it goes. And then E, e. But here's the magic Walking it down Oh That's yeah That's the magic Yeah And then you go uh, to, to. 
Beautiful. And it go on my mind. And then it go to the D. Amazing. And then, and then <laughs> you know it's here. That's the thing, man. That, that really is magic. That sounds mm. magic. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Well, I don't know what to say, but all I can say is, Don Peak, thank you. Thank, thank you for you. playing on all my favorite tunes. Yeah. And by really? the way, how long did it take you to glue all these guitars? Ah, I, knew you were gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. Norman, I'm I couldn't honored. resist. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. Thank you, and thank you for being thank with us. Thank you so much. It was right, what, a, what a pleasure. Bless you. Uh, just, thank you. It really, wow. really is a treat, and I hope you guys learn something from this because a lot of these fantastic musicians are so integral to these tunes, and mm. a lot of people don't get credit necessarily for what they did, and it was so important to those tunes. That intro to "Let's Get It On," come on, three notes. Yeah, and magic. The, it, magic. Grab your rhythm guitar. Oh yeah. And we're going to end this with with a B flat, okay. fast shuffle called "Do the Mess Around." Oh yeah. All right. Okay, and it's so so. That's I'm, Ray also. All right. So here we go. I'll start. No. Great Don Peak, my right. buddy that, Nick That Dias. just made my that year. That was really, really cool. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Remember, the uh, you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts or wherever that might be, and free on the All Guitar Network the following week video if you want to see uh, what we look like. Not necessarily me, but the <laughs> other guys. Um <laughs> I think I've seen myself in the mirror way too many times, and it's not a pretty sight. But thank you, guys. We love you all, and uh, just a ball, and thanks, Don P. Thanks it again, Don. Really that was amazing. It's my pleasure. What a, what a way to spend an afternoon. Indeed. Thank you. Cheers. My man. Bless you, man. Thank, thank you. you awesome.